Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Weber, and I'm joined by my co-hosts... Andy Gramuga. Emilio Diaz. As well as by our guest, uh, a film critic and writer and member of the New York Film Critics Circle, Jordan Hoffman. Hello, it's a pleasure to be here with you fine young gentlemen, and I'm uh, thrilled to be part of the show. All right, Thank so you. we're going to be talking about the New York Film Festival today. We've got three movies on the docket uh from the last week uh mangrove nomad land and the disciple yeah um it's it's uh it's tough it's a little sad because the new york film festival is always such a fun Mm -hmm. part of the calendar and it really i think even more so than other festivals this year that didn't happen since i live in new york right this one feels a little bit more empty you know not flying to go somewhere is like uh take a year off or you know ah who needs the the schlep but this time it's like oh the weather new york film festival's timed so nicely in september you're Mm. supposed to be at lincoln center and at the special events and and chatting with your chums and seeing good movies and great situation and um i have to applaud the festival for doing what they could with the virtual screenings um of which mm-hmm. I've seen a few, and then there was one. There have been um, a number at drive-ins. I've only taken advantage mm-hmm. of one of those screenings, which is The Disciple, and I'm going tomorrow night to see something called... Well, I don't know what it's called, but it's by the guy who made Fire at Sea, the oh, Italian oh, documentary. Notorno. I'm going to see Notorno tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, scheduling prevented me from seeing some of the other drive-in stuff. And um, but anyway, so hats off to the New York Film Festival for doing what they could, but it is still nevertheless a, a bit of a sad situation. Yeah, yeah. It's like obviously this is a podcast like centered around film festivals, and it's been a weird year to start it. Yeah, way to kick but, off. Can I kick yeah. it in a year with no kicking? So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, but but I mean, it does mean that like we all get to participate in like multiple festivals this year, which is like. Right. The, I guess the the silver line, like, is like, you know, we, we usually like I watch like there was one ungeolocked movie from Toronto that I was able to watch, and now I'm able to watch a bunch of New York stuff, right? Uh, all from my home. So like that's I I you know I'm excited to have the opportunity to like experience this festival yeah, for the first time. I feel like, and I think New York did a better job than TIFF. TIFF was a little bit stingy with mm-hmm. how they allowed it, which yeah. I mean I understand right. they want to keep the stuff. Um under lock and key because it hasn't been sold yet and there's piracy issues um but uh you know watching remotely is for me anyhow maybe you guys feel differently for me it's like look uh there's there are so many i've been doing this for a long time i'm considerably older than all you guys there are still so many great movies that i haven't seen Uh, and when like you know the criterion channel is right there the tcm watch Mm -hmm. channel is right there it's like I can roll the dice and see a film that I might be good that just happens to be debuting at this year's festival, or I can see that um, 
you know, I, I there's a couple of gaps in my Pasolini. You know, I could fill in the gap there. Right. Or I can figure. You know, I haven't seen every Bergman film. There's a few I haven't seen. You know, so it's always like, you know, what do you mm-hmm. do in this situation? So it's tough when you're home. It's that's why going out yeah, is good. It is, yeah. And one yeah. day when this is all over, we'll be able to go back and, and do that again. So, but you were telling me before that you all met. Um, that TIFF last year was your first uh, group. The year before. Was oh, the year, year before. Year, yeah. Was yeah. your first yeah. group, uh, and you, you all met in, which I'm uh, delighted and horrified to learn exists, blank check uh, <laughs> subgroups. Uh, <laughs> so I guess um, you all rank your favorite uh, 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 ways that Griffin will uh, talk about the producer, right? Producer Ben. <laughs> Uh, different little uh, pet names for him and whatnot. Sure, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Ben is a sweet fellow, though. You know, he's a very nice chap. They're all very nice. Well, Griffin's yeah. all right, I guess. But the other two are very nice. <laughs> and there's that other uh, producer. Last time I was on, I've been on the show twice with a third visit coming soon, although that'll be virtual. And the second one, we were yapping so long that Ben had to leave. And he's like, I got to go. And then some woman appeared and sat at the board to, like, do it. And I'm like, are we just going to pretend that, like, Ben right. didn't just leave? And so I said, who are you? And she said, I'm uh, Janet or whatever her name is. She was very nice. And then I was trying to make her laugh because, you know, Ben's like, – this woman, she was all business. She was, like, monitoring stuff. I'm like, come on. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make you laugh with something. But uh, it worked out okay. So anyhow, yeah. that's what's going on in my life today. All no right. film festivals. Reminiscing about – doing podcasts in person like we, i know when what we were kids we did our podcasts in person you know <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean it's like we're all from different places so it's like even in a world where we could be outside we always have recorded this podcast through <laughs> right. the internet but that's true you raise right. a good point uh, the plan at one point was maybe we were going to bring a Zoom recorder and a bunch of microphones to Toronto and do some in-person recordings there, but we'll save that for a future Next year. year. Yes, Next year. Do absolutely. you think... Now, I don't know. What's the deal? Is Sundance officially off for January? I imagine it is, right? Sundance, the first thing, like several months ago, what they said was that they're moving back to like early February, and then what they said at the time was that they were hoping to do like some screenings in Colorado and then like pick like 10 other cities in the United oh, States right, 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 and right, right. also do screenings there. I'd imagine that's yeah. looking less likely at yeah. this point. It's a shame. I mean, it's a shame when the, when the vaccine yeah. comes, we'll be back. And um, yeah. Yeah. Cause that would be a good one for you guys to all collect that because Sundance you can do, um, you know, everybody's sharing apartments there anyway and kind right, of sleeping right. on each other's floor. And there's, I would say, as as one who has been to many festivals of um, uh, of of great size, the biggest festivals and a lot of regional festivals, I think the one that has the most uh, the vibe of the most camaraderie, not necessarily the best film selection, but the one with the most camaraderie, the most sort of summer camp vibe, is in fact the Sundance Film Festival. I give that my hearty applause because, and I think part of it is simply just due to the um, uh, uniqueness of the specificity of place because it's mm-hmm. it's right. on top of a mountain right. in January so there's ice and snow everywhere the elevation I don't know how many of you have been to the top of a mountain like this but like it really 
you think, oh, yeah, it's high. So, like, yeah, maybe you lose your breath the first half a day. No, it's like the first few days you feel like you're stoned the whole time. At least I do. <laughs> uh, the elevation really does a number on me. So everybody's, like, a little bit yeah. giddy. It's sort of like we all climb the mountain together. It's the beginning of the year, too. It's right. um, uh, now They've moved it. Now it's, like, third week in January. It used to even be right. a little earlier. So it's, like, new year. It's all starting right. fresh. We're here in the mm-hmm. snow. We're 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 wet. We're cold. We're, we got ice everywhere. Uh, we're gonna see movies we've never heard of. It's a lot of people we never heard of before. Uh, there is sort of that most uh, friendly vibe there that you do not mm-hmm. get at some of the other festivals. So, right, Sundance yeah. is fun in the cycle because like it's at the beginning of the year and the Oscars are still forthcoming, but you get to forget about those movies right, for right. a while and yeah. start thinking about new ones. Yeah. A lot of times. Cool. Um, and I think, cause they did recently kind of change the schedule, but for years, the Oscar nominations would be during the festival. Mm-hmm. And it was always for me, anyhow, uh, it had this, this feeling of like, Oh, it's so lame. Like, even <laughs> though the Oscars will sometimes nominate good movies, right. it, it always had this feel of like, two things like a that's so commercially crass and lame and b it's like that's last year man right i'm yeah, focused on good. this we're year all, yeah we're already looking ahead yeah, over here. we're looking ahead and uh, but then there are a couple of jokers uh you know there are some people in the in the movie in the film journalism field whose beat is awards and right. i uh yeah. i uh, I'm friendly with some of these people. I mean, I, I question their choices in life, but they've, they've made their bed. And um, a lot of times they'll go see a movie at Sundance before the next year's awards have been announced. So they're at, it's 2017, and 2016's award, nominations haven't been announced, and they're watching a movie, and they'll say, like, that's the best, that's the best supporting actor. And I'm like, I remember when Whiplash played... Right. I forgot who it was. It was somebody I'm friendly with who's in that world. Yeah. And he's like, I just saw the best supporting actor win of next year. And I'm like, dude, shut up. Like, <laughs> like maybe you're right, but like get a get a get a grip. And he got all mad at me. And then when he did win, he like found the tweet. He's like, see? I'm like, all right, yeah, you're right. Like, so what? He was like, I don't care. Like, I never said you were wrong. I just said shut right. up. So it's like the Big Lebowski. You're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. This guy's not an asshole, but he was just like, he's living his life. You know, he's yeah. got to do his thing. Everybody's got sure. their beat. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I imagine as somebody who has to like, vote uh, for like film critic awards and stuff like that because even uh we don't vote on anything and even us i feel like at the end of the year we're like god these movies i just want to be done with whatever year of movies this is i just want to watch new stuff yeah the new stuff yeah. is i don't want to keep having to catch up so and i imagine like sundance in that way is refreshing of just like 100 percent, yeah movies that i like people might have not even heard of yeah this, yeah like. yeah Mm-hmm. that's what it's all about so um so anyway so we'll yes. hopefully there'll be some normalcy if sundance next year doesn't happen and can might happen next year i don't know we'll, we'll see yeah we shall see absolutely all right uh mangrove then is the first yes. movie that we saw mangrove this is yeah. the second of the three steve mcqueen movies well there, there's five of them but the second of the three playing the festival and it's the one that i believe was initially conceived as two parts and so it's now a two-hour film instead right. of a one-hour film as many of them are yeah um yeah i i um i thought it was 
great. It's funny. I just watched the third one yesterday, mm-hmm. which I know you're talking about next week. And Mangrove is sort of the of the three that I've seen. M- Mangrove, I think. Well, see, Lovers Rock is small and perfect and beautiful and and unique and a self-contained thing. Mm-hmm. Mangrove is a big friggin' movie, and the the new one, mm-hmm. Red, White, and Blue, I thought was not as uh, successful as the other two. Um, but uh, what's what's great about Mangrove is um, it's a nice balance between a traditional, you know, courtroom drama mm-hmm. and a historical thing, which if I were British, maybe I would have heard of this case. I will right. confess that I was unaware. It's funny because uh, Chicago 7 is coming out soon. Right. And there are a tremendous amount of similarities uh, between the two cases of the Mangrove Nine and the Chicago Seven. Uh, but of course, being American, I knew all about the Chicago Seven, but I never heard of the Mangrove Nine. And um, so you got your history, and you've got sort of like big courtroom drama. But you know, McQueen does sort of have a knack for finding just sort of unique ways into a story, whether it's visually or whether it's through just dropping you in the middle and letting you figure out who the important characters are. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of uh, really interesting overheard pieces of dialogue, a lot of interesting camera placement. And you're like, why am I looking at this pot on the bottom of the floor for 30 seconds? You know, what does right. this, what does this uh, signify? Uh, he's always, he always does a thing where he shoots from below and you see like mm-hmm. a chin and a head in the frame, which uh, if you go back and look at his short films, his uh, experimental short films, mm-hmm. very few of which are online, and the ones that are are probably there illegally, but you can find them not that hard. There's mm-hmm. a lot of that. That's kind of like his thing, I guess, mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. chin first. Um, I think Mangrove is, is tremendous. You know, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a really, really good movie, uh, you know, about a, a, a very, you know, upsetting situation for people who don't know it's about uh uh the cops harassing uh a bunch of uh west indian uh british people at a restaurant slash social club um and then them fighting back and it leading to a police riot uh which you don't ever see i love that i mean you kind of see it right it's like it's about to get violent and then it cut this is one of the great things about the movie this is why mcqueen is a genius is that it's building it's building it's like oh finally people can't take it anymore they go out into the street and they're ready to fight and there's a little bit of pushing and a little bit shoving and then they go to the police headquarters and you think it's about to explode and then cut and it's like a year and a half later like right awesome good for you man because who needs to see it right i mean we we know what's gonna happen take that like it takes that little leap which is funny because a couple of weeks ago on the podcast we talked about bloody sunday the paul greengrass movie which is a movie that is like about a riot and it's like every single moment within a riot and everything within that and i think some of us were a little more mixed on it because it's like Another movie that you could think of is like Detroit of just like, well, we're going to show all of this like terrible stuff happening. And do we just want you to think that it's sort of terrible and just like it sort of not revels, but exists very deeply within its suffering. And so I think the move that McQueen makes of just like skipping over that and and understanding that like the movie is about the struggle, not about the suffering is, I think, a very interesting move to make there. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it assumes that you've seen Bloody Sunday. You know, you know what's going to happen. We yeah. don't need to go over These that. These stories again. always go the same. Yeah. And then, right. well, and then also, like, I guess, like, the, the, like, the main meat of the trial then is also stuff that we, the audience, haven't seen depicted on, in the, in the movie, right? Like, so much of the, like, cross-examinations and stuff 
come down to like events that we do not have like a definitive view on um which i think is like an interesting uh a way of like approaching of getting like the story of the whole day right if like the story is the day of the riot or whatever like we're you know we get the first the first bunch of it of like this is all the context that led up to it and then the story of the actual event is like told through these courtroom mm-hmm. examinations yeah that's a really good point because we just know that the cops are lying but right. we, like in, intuitively we know it but in in a in another film and and a lesser film when that one particularly, you know, villainous cop, who's a real guy, by the way, I, I, I looked him up. Um, when that guy is giving his evidence and then our heroes are like in the dock, we're like, fuck you, dude, of course not. It's like we side with them. But like in a lesser film, it would have been like, we would we would have seen it. We know you're lying. Right. So just in that guy, I looked him up and he's probably dead now, but he, um, in, in as recently as 1998, was leaving uh, reviews on Amazon, like on products. <laughs> and it's definitely him because, you know, he... And I found it because um, he didn't write a book, um, but he's cited in a British uh-huh. police text. Oh, and that hyperlinked me to... Because he commented on it. And then I found his reviews and he wrote commentary on, like, other things about British policing. And uh-huh. he'd be like... You know, oh, this guy gets it right. You know, he knows what we're up against. And then another one is like, oh, you, you, you know, you, you pinko swine, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh my God. So, uh, yeah, as recently as 98, he was, you know, you could probably see him, an old man hunched over his, yeah, his big, me. big old Dell computer, you know, in the basement. His wife's like, Boris, are you coming for tea, love? Quiet, mum. I'm on the computer. Blah, 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 blah. You rotten fairy. Blah, 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 blah. So anyway. Yeah, um... I, uh, I looked up the actor's name. His name is uh, Sam Spruill. And he's really given uh, Ed Scrine in uh, If Beale Street Could Talk a run for his money. Yeah. As far as just like, this is truly the worst cop. Yeah. Not yeah, that they... there aren't a lot of those cops yeah. out there, but. There's a really nasty white cop in Red, White, and Blue, which is about, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if you know about it, but it's John Boyega plays a very right. famous black British cop who's like, if we were British, we'd know about him. He's like pretty, mm-hmm. pretty celebrated. And, you know, when he first gets to the force, he encounters a lot of racism. And there's one guy who just like, it's like the most like evil face. And I felt bad for the actor. I'm like, he's probably a nice guy, but like I see him and I just want to punch him in the mouth. You know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's amazing. So yeah, I think Mangrove is a really successful movie, and and the, the other thing that I really took to it, and you guys tell me what, what, whether you agree, is um, is also it kind of stems from from a very specific kind of Britishness, you know, West Indian British. First of all, the way they speak, their mm-hmm. their uh, their use of language is very you know very specific to their to their culture. Um, you know, it's a mix of the you know, pigeon from West Indies and very upper class British speak when they're in uh, of um, in the courtroom. So when they're giving their evidence, you know, it's just like the language I thought was really beautiful and, um, this, you know, really great speeches for actors to really sink their teeth into. Like, the, yeah. you know, some of them I was familiar with, a lot of them I didn't know. And like one after the other, I was like, this actor's tremendous. And then the woman... Uh, whose name I can't remember right now. She's very famous. She's in there, and she's terrific. Letitia and Wright. Letitia Wright. Yeah, she's dynamite. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. the other woman, um, 
was terrific. And they're all real people. I looked them up. I spent yeah. the whole night on Wikipedia. They're all real. Some of them are still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that was funny to me, <laughs> for, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a Jew from New York. So in, the, in one of the earliest scenes, they're around the TV and it's like the older guy and they're watching the younger guy on TV, and and right. there's and then there's the woman uh, who was there from the Black Panther Party. She was there, and they're in the room watching TV. And then the older guy goes, "I think I think our boy did great. What do you think, Selma?" And they cut to this white woman uh, who has like the thickest and kind of fakest New York Jewish accent I've ever heard. This British actress, and she's like, "He did great," you know. This sounded like one of my aunts. And I'm like, who the hell's Selma? What the hell's this all about? <laughs> so I looked her up, and Selma's she has one. She's in the movie for zero point eight seconds. You know, mm-hmm. big close up of this Jewess from Brooklyn going, he's great, but she's a real person. Selma so and so, and she was an Ameri- a Jew from Brooklyn who lived in England for some reason, mm-hmm. and is still alive. She's ninety, mm-hmm. and she's a you know radical activist and. Uh, Made me very proud of my people. So <laughs> nice. yeah. the queen yeah. really did his research, you know, it's a great, awesome. uh, yeah. a lot of great footnotes in there. Yeah. And, and it's cool. like, even beyond research, I think the performances that all of the actors give that you mentioned, they're just like, so lived in. I want to shout out specifically Sean Parks, who mm-hmm. plays Frank, who is the owner of yeah. the Mangrove restaurant, who is like, his performance is a little less sometimes bombastic than the others because his entire role in it is trying to be like sort of passive, not fully wanting to give in to like the the radicalism that is surrounding him. And but within like his performance in the movie, it's just like he there's so many emotions on his face at once of just like the the struggle of like betraying his people versus like trying to live a life that is sort of comfortable and it exists between these two worlds and there's and specifically there's a there's a shot i think when they receive the sentencing or like that they're not guilty or whatever that is just mcqueen just like starts the camera far away on his face and then just like slowly zooms as like the news slowly trickles down through each one of their members which is maybe my favorite shot of the year it's just like an incredible piece of filmmaking by by McQueen that just goes to what you mentioned, Jordan, of like the interesting angles he uses to look yeah, at this sort of thing. It's, it's an amazing, it is the shot of the film and, and a, a, something of a signature shot from McQueen because it immediately reminded me of my favorite shot. Favorite. It's a very upsetting shot, but the shot in 12 years a slave where, um, where he's at the funeral and he sings Right. If you remember in 12 Years a Slave, similar to this character, he he's like, I shouldn't be here. I'm a northern black man. I'm, I'm, I'm not a slave. I'm not part of this. And he spends most of the movie never really connecting with the other people because he shouldn't be here. It's a big clerical error. Right. Or, or he was stolen, you know. And on a story point of view, he's right. I mean, and eventually he does free himself or get freed. Um, but at the funeral, which is the, uh, just an amazing scene, he embraces his community and he sings them. And it's all close up on his face. And you hear the music and he's upset and he's sad. And his eyes are welling up with tears. And then he starts to sing. And it's a similar type of shot, but there are different things happening in the mangrove mm-hmm. shot. Because in the mangrove shot, it's 
you know, it's triumph to to a degree, and um, but it's still it's a similar similar framing. So uh, it's it's great, and um, yeah, he's a great character. And you're right. I mean, he he starts as like I don't want to be involved. I'm not part of this. You know, I'm building a restaurant to to right. to serve food. I don't want to get involved in politics. And then he does. And what's interesting is that you know I've only we've seen now three of the five small axe films. The the way they're going to roll out is Mangrove first, right? Um, right. Lovers right. Rock second, two what we haven't seen yet, and then Red, White, and Blue, and Red, White, and Blue starts um, kind of in a little bit where Mangrove picks up. Like it's about this young man John Boyega who, from the get go, is like I'm getting involved. I'm going to be a police officer mm. in my community, um, and then he gets a lot of obviously uh static from both the cops and from his own family but uh it's it's kind of like i'm very curious to see how the other two films fit in the overall arc right Mm -hmm. um right because i think mangrove is like the earliest chronologically i think of the five i believe that would make sense yeah that would make sense um yeah uh, I would just like to briefly shout out my favorite performance is uh, Malachi Kirby, who plays the like the most intellectual of the like accused. He's like he like you see him making lectures and stuff, and he has a real showcase like cross examination scene that like was making me like right. sit in my cheat my seat and cheer uh, yeah. that I was re- really yes. really into. Yeah, yeah, it's a real substantial piece of work. You know, I think mm-hmm. uh, it's funny because would it is the larger. You know, if it was just this one movie, if Steve McQueen released Mangrove, a two-hour movie in theaters, well, theaters are not an issue this year, but if they were, right. would it have more of an impact than the full five-series small acts? I guess we'll have to see and find out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, you know, I guess he had the the clout to do it, and he got the financing yeah. from Amazon and the BBC, and we'll see how the others turn out. I'm sure that the other two will be pretty good as well it's uh it's pretty impressive it, it, you know and I, I i like the three small axe films so much that i want to go back and rewatch widows because yeah. i was pretty mild on widows <clears throat> i guess just because i hold mcqueen in such high regard i mean his other work has been so striking mm-hmm. that when i saw widows i was like eh, all right you know some interesting stuff but it didn't really connect with me the way those other films you know shame and and um uh hunger and, and especially 12 years of slaves so uh yeah if nothing else i'm gonna rent widows again so yeah great i think i think we all really like widows so we can oh you're a big widows fans all right yeah. well I, it, it didn't do it for me but you know I'll, i'm gonna yeah. check it out again yeah I, I, yeah I was a little milder than these guys but uh, yeah. yeah i mean i had I, like i watched that's a movie that i woke up at 7 a.m and watched in toronto and then like wept through so that's like wow. an an insane experience of mine but also like widows is almost the perfect like example of just like i think another director would make that movie a lot more boringly than he would and i think there's a lot of interesting flourishes in there like you talked about the 12 years of slave shot and then but i thought about like the daniel kaluuya like Mm -hmm. him forcing the guy to rap the shot and that is like a similar piece of discomfort that i adore that i think is used well in both of these small x films I think I'm similar. Well, at it, I prefer, slightly prefer Lovers Rock than than Mangrove. I think they're both great. Lovers Rock is sort of I sort of just give the nod to for being 
such a like single like unique piece of yeah. art whether whereas mangrove is like a greatly executed piece of a thing i've seen before but yeah they're that's both exactly it. yeah we've seen movies like mangrove before uh lover's rock is very unique uh you know there's really not much else like it it is mm-hmm. it is its own little perfect gem uh that will bring joy for years you know Right. Uh, not too many people are going to watch Mangrove a second time, you know? Uh, only, like, very... Only people who are studying Steve McQueen are going to watch right. it a second time. You know, Lover's Rock, people will watch right. forever, so... I might have watched Lover's Rock two times in the four hours window. <laughs> <laughs> it is... I do. It, it is interesting to think, like, they put it as this opening film, which was a cool showcase slot. It's interesting to think, like, most movies that are of that length would by default be in currents just because like you don't put a movie that isn't a feature in the main slate usually yeah i don't know what they would well i mean it's just so upbeat and fun maybe right they would like, have, yeah like um, you can't really put a steve mcqueen movie in currents but like any other director who yeah. made like a 68 minute long movie that has long stretches without dialogue that goes in currents I don't know what they would have done if it had been a normal year. How I think they still would have done it for opening night. They would have programmed mm-hmm. it with something else. I, they would right. have found a short that made sense. Right. Um, Did they put a short with it at the drive-in? I want to say. I, I, I wasn't I can't there, so I don't it. know. Yeah. I mean, maybe they, maybe they, uh, and you know, they opening night they always find a way to pad right. things out. Yeah. They could have had the, you know, people come out and talk and whatnot. Right. So. Yeah. I think it would have been. I mean, initially it was going to play a can anyway. So, yes. right. Uh, I think it all this this year is all a lot of weird yeah. right. programming, okay. and I think it's good that it didn't play a can because um, it would have been swallowed up a can, you know, because yeah. it's it would have been out of competition. Uh, those special screenings, you know, sometimes can 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 break out, but maybe this one wouldn't have. I don't know. Yeah, they probably would have paired it with an actual dance party at can. That's probably what they would have done. Uh, yeah, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, there would have been a party afterward on the beach, and and there would have been some dancing. Yeah. Who knows? It would have been a white reggae DJ. Out yeah, playing <laughs> <dance> for, <them. laughs> for sure. So, should do we want to move on to Nomadland? Let's do it. Oh, let's sure. pack up the van and move to Nomadland. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, um, what did you guys think of Nomadland? Yeah, I loved it i was like you know it this is obviously like the buzzy movie of festival season this year right like i mean Mm -hmm. you don't win the golden lion and the people's choice at tiff Tiff without like everyone like without people who are interested in movies being like oh that's like one to see um but i i think you know at like just like as a showcase for Francis McDormand alone, it's just like kind of astounding. In like, mm-hmm. it's like a movie designed that like to make you love and appreciate what Francis McDormand can do. Uh, and on top of that, I think you know there's it has such a um, uh, an interesting look at like you know it 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 is about like what is what is it to be like a a person in Amer- a worker in America today. And, like, what is it to, to, to try to make a life and pursue, like, the American... Like, it's dealing with, like, classic, like, big themes that, like, yeah. artists mm-hmm. love to tackle. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think it, you know, it it does it in a really, like, loving, like, light-touch way that I think 
you know, I've only seen the writer previous. This is the only other Chloe Zhao I think I've seen previously. But like that's like her, her pr- pretty much her signature style of is like you know the light touch mm-hmm. and using like lots of not lots of non professional actors and real people and um, mm-hmm. it is like a you know she also is using like a hybrid approach to movies like we uh, we'll talk a little bit later in this in the, in this episode about I carry you with me which also is a, is a bit of a hybrid but this one. I think, you know, she has some real people, she has some people who are, like, based on real people, and then she has some, like, fictional characters in it. And the, the way that they mix together and balance, I thought, was, like, very, like, very disarming, and, like, it created, like, a really sort of overwhelming experience. Yeah, the, the use of non-actors or um, new faces, I thought, really worked to her advantage. Her first film is good also. Uh, it's set on an Indian reservation... It's a little darker than 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 what came next, but uh, I believe it just went up on Mubi yesterday. Is it? So yeah, I forget. The, it's called like my the songs my brother taught me. Is that what's called? Yes, songs? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I reviewed it when it came out, and then who would have? And it was it's small. It's a tiny little movie, mm-hmm. and um, who would have thunk that she would? You know, she's now like it, right? Yeah. Um, what I, what I like about Nomadland is um, it's deceptively small. I mean, first of all. It, go, it goes all over the country. It's not just mm-hmm. set in like a little mm-hmm. campground. You know, they're 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 north, they're south, they're east, they're west. You know, there's they somehow got inside the Amazon fulfillment structure, which I've never right. seen footage of. It's like, oh, that's how my shit gets to me. All right, um, it's it, it's really it's really nice. And you know, David Strathairn is playing the David Strathairn role. I mean, he's been playing that character since the '90s. You know, go see. Yeah. If you've ever, never seen John Sayles' Passion Fish, I mean, which is a mm-hmm. masterpiece of sort of indie movies similar to this in its in its vibe, you know, he's just been doing it forever. And and that kind of was the, ta- the, the takeaway for me is that this movie is not, I don't mean this as a negative, but it does not feel very new. It feels to me like a classic from the, you know, the, the boom wave of early to mid 1990s independent cinema, sort of that mm-hmm. classic era of the, um, you know, the, the, the Spike, Mike, Slackers and Dykes era of Sundance movies um, where it's about, you know, it's about a person wandering around, you know, and just mm-hmm. doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't feel particularly new, but it's like really just very nicely done. I mean, those movies were made inexpensively shot on 16 millimeter film and this has got you know just every shot is just gorgeous mm-hmm. um and uh, the other thing about it which i think you know i haven't read too many reviews but i would imagine that there are some people saying like you know oh it's a it's um it's a real look at what these people's lives will be like i don't think that's true at all i think this is a hollywood movie i mean uh, uh a hollywood movie in its um in its uh, sort of perception, you know, it's very, very upbeat and it has, you know, a punctuation at the end. Everybody's really nice in this film. Nobody tries to rip her off, you know, no, she never encounters anyone who's mean. Everybody's got a helping hand for everybody. And that's a very pleasant thought, but it's not exactly the real world. You know, I think somebody who's completely destitute living out of their van is, is going to be up Shit's Creek very soon. But you know, she finds she kind of not saying she has it easy she's sleeping in her van freezing but you know she's managing to survive 
pretty well. You know, when she really needs money, she calls her sister and gets some money, you know? So I, I feel like it does sort of have a, I don't want to be cynical and say an overly rosy view of this, but uh, I think Chloe Zhao's intention to have, uh, to have a lot of sympathy for all of the characters makes the movie a little bit of a fantasy. I don't know. Is that too cynical? Do you think I'm being an asshole with this or uh do, do you kind of get what i'm saying like it's no no it, I, I no i think what you're saying is warranted i think that is for sure the truth i think like i think what you said at the end is i think probably the the most accurate thing where it, chloe Zhao is clearly a very sympathetic filmmaker and i don't think she wants to put anyone on screen who she doesn't like who she can't like at least see where they're coming from or what they're doing or how they came here which like to a certain extent does make the movie feel a little like rosier and easier yeah. than what like mm-hmm. the gritty like whatever like insert whatever gritty filmmaker you want to put like the right. able like the 90s able ferrara version right. of this movie where it's just like people fucking each other over and stabbing right. each other in the back but i think it manages to toe the line between being that sympathetic but also not being like condescending either where it's just like oh these middle american people they're just so wonderful and i want to hug them and they just have it tough i think it does sort of have an understanding of just like they're people trying to get by and they're going to help her when they can but also there there are some scenes in the movie where where people are just like come on like you need to like you have a sister you can call you should do that or like they're like you should upgrade to a different thing or you should just find a job you shouldn't be doing this like i think the movie does a decent enough job of sort of presenting francis mcdormand's character who as a person who is to a certain extent in this life due to her own choices like right right she's kind of of a, a tourist in a way yeah like yeah, like she is trying to walk the walk of just like talking big, but in like she is, she could theoretically live a much more comfortable life than a lot of the like real people she's talking to, which I think yeah, is, a, yeah. is a smart move for a movie like this because it like then if you're making a movie where actress Frances McDormand talks to a bunch of actual real life like people <laughs> out there on the street, you yeah. might get a little more guff than they, what they got, I would imagine. But I think it's. Like, I think what I like about it is that it's a little hollywood and it's a little nice and it's sort of a romance for a little bit and then it's yeah. not. It sort of, like, fully explores this character and uses the world around her to, like, mm-hmm. see different angles as to how she could live. Yeah, that's a really good point you make about, from a sort of a, a meta point of view of, like, if you're going to have these non-actors with Frances McDormand, who we all know as an actress, you know, she's got to be a little bit of an outsider. That's it. But, I mean, even within the story itself, though, um, you're right. It's like she could, you know, maybe emotionally she needs to be there because she's mourning the death of her husband and she doesn't know what to do with the rest of her life. But, in you know, in actuality, she doesn't, she's not um, condemned to be, to live this life. Um, which kind of reminded me a little bit of um, of Five Easy Pieces, right? Because Jack Nicholson is... You know, working working the oil rig and you know drinking beer out of a can, but then like by the end of the movie, you realize, oh, he's a rich kid. You know, he's there by choice. So it's it's uh, it's following. Who knew Francis McDormand would do the answer to Five Easy Pieces forty years later or fifty years later or whatever it is? Yeah, I mean, my only other thought about Nomadland is 
it's like there have been a series of New York Film Festival movies between like Nomadland and The Inheritance, which played current and City Hall that have gotten me just to think about like not to get too big about it, but like the housing situation in America and what it ex- what it's what like what it may be like to try and live outside of that and the like the problems with fixing it and that sort of thing. And I think it's like it presents just like I think it. All of most of the problems that McDormand's character in it, who's called Fern, by the way, it's placed in like as we said, most of the people treat her nicely, so the most of the conflict has to be sort of like incidental, like oh she can't park at this parking lot because these people own this parking lot and she can't park here and she can't live here, and just like the struggle to live a life outside of the of like the very regimented society we have i think it's like an interesting angle to look at this movie but i maybe just be might be thinking of those sorts of things because of the world at large right right yeah. i mean there, there are parts in this film when i was watching it uh with my wife we're like okay this doesn't look that bad it's like we wanted to get a van and go live right. hang out with these people have chili you know hang around the bonfire yeah. and then it's like it's like oh no this is bad she's She's shitting in a bucket, you know? I don't want to do that. That does not look right. fun. You know, that's a really important moment in the film is watching her shit in that bucket, I think. Don't you? I mean, because it's yeah. like... Yeah. It's, it's, like the old, it's like one of the few moments of like, oh, no, this is not cool. I don't want to shit in a bucket. That's terrible. Right. Like that and like the point where they're like, you know that it's going to get to like really cold tonight. There's a <laughs> right. church you could go to. Yeah. yeah. Or like when her like when they're like, well, your van needs like this much work, and like it's better to like maybe scrap it and like get another one. And she's like, I can't like consider even doing that. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, yeah, like the the stuff it does make you think about is like, yeah, like what aspects of society like are you opting in and opting out of, and like Mm -hmm. what you know, what is what is where is the line? Like, I think it has a really interesting relationship with with work with her. Right, she's like a character who like talks about like how she like wants to work and like gets like is like that's what what she wants to be able to do but at the same time she doesn't want to have like the traditional like life anymore like at least since her husband is has passed and she doesn't have like she had to give up certain things right so it's like it's a it's a movie it's a i think yeah those questions that it asks about like well what is our society what are we providing for people what are what are people able to opt in and out of in those things like it poses a lot of those Mm -hmm. questions i think in like a really uh, in, interesting and exciting way. Yeah, it's like it's like the reversal of Vagabond, right? Because in Vagabond, she's floating around, but she refuses to work. She's mm-hmm. punk rock, but she's also a 15-year-old kid, right? But she's like, you know, I'm going to, fuck you, I shall not work. I am French, you know? And so yeah. it's, uh, it's a whole different, whole different thing. Um, yeah. Another thing that um, I was just thinking of when you were talking about um, her attitude... Uh, to work it reminded me of another oh no just the the um when you're talking about uh, uh housing a little bit uh the recent film uh, leave no trace right uh mm-hmm. not that long ago right. they're they're you know the end is like they they happen upon this like utopia uh and then of course the father leaves uh well giving away the ending there but um but the uh, it kind of reminded me of the scenes in no man land when they're when they're all around the bonfire mm-hmm. it's like uh you know, there's a um, where's the connected cinematic universe of all these like nomad tribes living off the land in different films yeah. that's going to connect the next one, you know, right? Uh, just, just have their cars pass each other on the right, right. They're going to connect yeah. and there'll be a third movie. Uh, no, it's interesting. You're, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, it's like... But it speaks to your point of, like, perhaps there is a growing subculture that I'm completely unaware of, uh, of total rejection of, you know, common social constructs of housing in America. Yeah. And if things continue the way they are going, and, this could yeah, be and, a, for, uh, a, a foreshadowing of, of where a lot of us are headed. Yeah, and I think, like, the Leave No Trace comparison is very interesting because I think the place that Boat with which friend like fern in this in nomad land like she bounces around like just mentally and that character it sort of ends up which i i understand is like this very american thing as somebody who's just like slightly barely american of just like the desire to refuse help to just be like no the re me proving my worth as a person is tied to me being able to take care of myself and if i'm letting other people take care of me then i'm not like fully existing as the person i want to be which is sort of fascinating to see because it's like obviously leave no trace. We sort of already gave away the ending. Like that man's young daughter sort of decides to say, and like in Nomad Land, Fern's future is sort of unknown. That's sort of a thing I enjoy about it that it's mm-hmm. that it sort of leaves whatever the growth she went on in this personal journey out to, as sort of a mystery. You sort of have to take whatever you want from it, but it's they are. I guess it, that it might truly speak to something happening in society right now, though I am always, yeah. also sort of unaware. I only, I only experience it through movies. <laughs> <laughs> and then the inheritance is kind of the opposite, where that that was the opening film at Currents, and that's kind of uh, that's very much about a collective. Uh, that's set in Philadelphia. It's this uh, young guy inherits a house in West Philadelphia from his grandmother, and then kind of him and his girlfriend start forming this kind of socialist collective housing uh in this house and like that that also has some hybrid elements like uh the move organization oh yeah uh, people some of the people from that they bring in to speak and it's the real people yeah and my understanding is for the inheritance also that's like the main character within it is sort of based on the director's life. It's just like he inherited a house and then tried to like form a commune. And then so it's like sort of went on in a journey there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I haven't seen that one yet, Mm -hmm. but you know, speaking of uh, um, ambiguous endings, I think the disciple has one of the great, it's like a, it's like a Mm -hmm. triple ambiguous ending. You know, it it really ends. Mm -hmm. I don't want to give it away, but um I was really, I really liked the disciple a lot. I think that movie mm-hmm. was was dynamite. I haven't seen his first one, right? Um, which is called Court, uh, mm-hmm. which um, apparently was great. Um, you know, yeah, I was like, looking up when he got announced to be in uh, Venice competition. Uh, I, I looked him up, and it was like, oh, people really like this last movie. I wonder yeah. why I hadn't heard of him. No, before. I hadn't heard of it at all. There's yeah. a lot of movies out there. Yeah, but the disciple, um, which. You know, I was talking with some people about it. It's like it has a very, I mean, even if we weren't in a pandemic year, I mean, the chances of this movie getting released in the United States are slim. But uh, I think somebody was saying that India was thinking of making it its uh, its uh, Oscar Oscar push, mm-hmm. which yeah, if, it, court if it was there. Oh, was it? Submission. Oh, okay. So if this if this is also and if it gets into the top X amount, then it has the potential of of being right. seen. I mean, maybe one of the smaller distributors will actually pick it up. But it, it is an art film, to be sure. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the movie features at least five sequences 
of a man on a moped in slow motion right. riding right. through the streets of, of Kolkata. I think it's Kolkata. Maybe it's another city uh, with the sound of uh, the Tampora playing Tampora. For those who don't know, is if you ever hear Indian classical music and you hear that drone and you're like, what is that? It's a big string instrument. It's probably three and a half feet tall with a big, big bass, a big sort of um, round bass and like I think three or four strings and you just kind of strum it slowly and it makes this drone sound and it's kind of the, the backbone of a lot of Indian music. And uh, it just puts you in a, you know, in sort of a, 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 a fog or, you know, puts you in a, in a zone. And uh, it has all these slow-mo shots of, of him just riding through the city as we hear, like, this woman's philosophy text on a tape playing about, like, you know, how to live a righteous life. And it's just, for me, I, I, like, those scenes should have been ten times longer. I just wanted more of those. <laughs> that was, like, the greatest thing ever. Yeah. I just absolutely love this movie to pieces. Um, yeah. It's, it's about... Well, what's so great is, like, cause I don't know enough about Indian music right. to know if he's any good or not. So, yeah. right. this is what's brilliant about, about this movie. Uh, I mean, and watching it as a, someone, as a Westerner is fascinating because <clears throat> he's a disciple to a great um, Indian classical uh singer and he wants to follow the path of of rigorous training you know like like you don't even start to get good till you're 40 right and the movie starts he's 26 Mm -hmm. and there are flashbacks to when he's a kid um and he's with his guru the whole time and when he sings to me sounds great I'm like, sure. wow, look at him go. This guy's terrific. And then his teacher's yeah. like, you suck, dude. You know, like, you're yeah. awful. Right. But then what you discover is, like, his guru has a terrible life. He's flat broke. He's, like, the best. He's, like, the best living singer of this particular mm-hmm. style of music. And anybody who cares about it knows that he's a genius. But the thing is, nobody cares, right? Because there's, like... Mm-hmm. It's it's this very right yeah the audiences fringe. that he plays for are like so telling of like it's like you know little rooms with like a bunch of people sitting on the floor yeah and, little and rooms the, they're uh, either like in community centers or occasionally right. he does like a house party yeah. for like dilettantish right rich and it's people. like someone is introing it as like this is like we like they are like giving context to the audience it's like yeah. you know it's not people who aren't it seems like there aren't a lot of people who are like connoisseurs into it right like, right. Like, yeah, it's a specific kind of the way he the, the typical the, the specific branch of his style of singing is I forget what it's called, but it's a particular style. It's like it's like if you're into jazz and you say like, oh, this isn't like fusion. This is, uh, you know, you know, a certain kind of jazz, you know, whatever. Right. So anyway, uh, this guy is dedicated his whole life. He's 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 neglected his his sex life. He's neglected all his relationships. He has a shitty relationship with his, with his mother. Um, and it's just to sing. And then, um, well, I don't know. Can we talk about the ending? I don't. I mean, I don't know if we should or not. Because I don't really know what happens at the end. Because to me, he sounds good. Because I don't know. I don't know enough. But all right, I guess I'll spoil the uh, spoiler warning a little bit. Like at the end, he finally is doing a recital, and the movie is leading it to think that, like, oh, he finally reaches the mountaintop. He's finally good enough. And he gives a performance that's really long, and the movie just holds it in the long shot. The singing. I'm not going to sing in the music on this podcast because I'll embarrass myself. But it sounds great. And then he just, in the middle of the song, he just 
gets up and leaves. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's because he knows he's never going to be good enough, that he's a mediocrity, or that he achieved the mountaintop, but he realizes that his success is meaningless because he's seen his future, and his future is poverty and solitude and misery and, and, yeah. and, and a lonesome, gruesome death. And you don't know. And then there's like, and then the movie continues from there with the repercussions of this. And I got into a big fight with my wife about it. With and I was talking to some other critics that have seen it. Everybody interprets the scene a different way. And it's amazing. And I don't know the answer. I, I mean, and, but I think there kind of is an answer. It's just I'm too dumb to get it. So what, what do you guys think? Because I'm very curious to know. I mean, yeah, I like the threads throughout the movie that I was like most intrigued by is like, yeah, that world of like, well, do you want to be an artist? Do you want to be like adjacent to the arts? Like what is like what is the what is the role of art in your life and like what is the role of pursuing art in your life? Um I, and I think like I I was like very into like the all the stuff where he like watches like their version of American Idol or whatever yeah, and and like yeah. there's all that stuff and he's like seeing the 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 something that is ostensibly similar to what he is pursuing right but that it holds mm -hmm. such a different place in culture and is such a different like right and if like it was a lesser movie he would have pointed at the tv screen and shouted and said you fuckers you're you're right. you're destroying right. art and he doesn't he's a blank slate right so you don't yeah. know does he hate it does he not right. care and then and then there's also the other scenes like of him like intersecting with like the academic or study like the world that like studies and and, and like the scene with the critic at the at that bar yeah, at the outdoor bar sick. is like so good mm -hmm. um and and like the way that people like view and classify these things and and like i don't know it like it really is like a like a what is it all for right like what is what is pursuing art for and like is it for yourself is it for others does pursuing mm -hmm. art but not being like the artist like does like because by the end he like in like the epilogue-esque stuff right he's like in, he's keeping up this guru's legacy, right? But he's not, like, really a singer himself, it seems like. Yeah, no, right? the, the, the epilogue, and, and I put it together, was he cut, he cut, similar to Nomadland, maybe, he comes from a wealthy family. Because mm -hmm. the flashbacks to him as a kid, it's like, he's got a nice house, you know, when, he, when yeah, you look at it. Right. And his mother makes those calls of, like, get a job, whatever. So I think, and there's that scene of, like, no, no, I'll get married when I'm 40. And then when you see him later, he's like, oh, he's got it, got it good-looking wife and some kids, you know? So I think what happened was he he, he made a call to mom. And he's like, I'm cashing out, you know? Give me some money. Right. But then he uses mm -hmm. that money to start a record label or some kind mm -hmm. of educational right. thing mm -hmm. where he's mm -hmm. releasing DVD box sets of this music that nobody wants to listen to right. and putting up a website that nobody will visit. So, mm -hmm. again, he sort of had this cushion the whole time you know it gave yeah. away the whole movie here but right it's so good it's the journey it's it's, it's yeah it's still yes, so i think good. it's definitely yeah it's so, seeing, and yeah so so he um that that's that's what i put together is it because they never come out and say that he's wealthy but it's after the fact right. i kind of i kind of put that it together sense. uh so that's where he's able to that's why he's able to to turn around and make that um to go into business because like out of nowhere right. he's a businessman he's been living in he's been living in a hut you know practically right. and and his, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with nothing, mm -hmm. and um, and now he's able to be. He's wearing a tie and everything. Now, how did that right. happen? And and also, there's that scene where he's trying to get a record label to come to his concert, right? And he's like kind of right. coming all mealy, like a squid. He's like, oh, I'd really love for you to be there on Sunday. Ugh. Um, you know, so it, 
he is keeping the legacy alive, but he's he's a failure, right? I mean, he's a failure to what he wanted to be beforehand. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking right. about this with my wife. It's like, you know, in, in life, you know, you, you are all young guys, right? In life, you will find, as you get older, I have multiple people in my life that have done the following thing. Uh, they go to college, they fart around for a few years, they find something they're really interested in, they get an advanced degree, uh, they work really hard to get a master's, maybe even to get a PhD in a particular field. And then the minute they get that degree, they shove it aside, make a hard left turn, and next thing you know, they're working in some job that they had no training for. Right. And that just happens in life. And in life, when it's your friend, you're like, whoa, I thought you were studying to be X. It's like, yeah, I got burned out. And I really am interested in this now. And you're like, oh, yeah, cool. When you watch it in a movie, it's like failure. You know, the disciple. Shine your head in shame, the disciple. But like, no, when it's your buddy Bill, it's like, no, Bill was unhappy working in academia. And he was telling me stories about how everybody else at the English department at the University of blah, blah, blah was a real jackass. So now I know why he's working in IT. You know, it makes sense. He just wants to have a life and have a family. So in life, it's different. In a movie, it's like, yeah. Oh, the disciple! How, right. you, you brought shame to your yeah, plan. Yeah, you know? it's, it's it is sort of in conversation. Like the, I'm about to like maybe give the movie uh, the movie the highest compliment that I personally can give a movie is like it made me think about like a couple of works of Stephen Sondheim. Like it made me think about uh, Sunday in the Park with George and like the life of an artist and then and now and like yeah. what it is to pursue art. Made me think about Merrily We Roll Along and the, and like what is it what it is it to. To, to turn your work into commerce and things like that. The other thing that I'm, that is coming to mind in this conversation is thinking about it in conversation with Inside Lou and Davis, the Coen brothers. Mm-hmm. That's, sure. That's um, very yeah. funny because I was uh, thinking about, uh, when we were talking about this guru, I started thinking about uh, Dave Van Ronk and how, sure, right. uh, uh, like my dad in the 90s, he lived in Williamsburg and he would just like go to a folk club and like Dave Van Ronk would be there and he'd just talk with him for a while. And it's like, oh, that's Dave Van Ronk. But no one really cares. Yeah. It's, <laughs> well, I, having lived in New York in the 90s, I also spoke and met with Dave Van Ronk a lot back in those days. He was just around. And um, it's funny because Lewin Davis is good. He's a good singer. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 right. but in but he doesn't connect for whatever right. reason, mm-hmm. which yeah. is why I think I I I need to have someone conversant in Indian classical music to speak sure. to me about this mm-hmm. movie, because I do think that his performance at the end is meant to be a triumph, like mm-hmm. on an artistic level. Right. Um. But mm-hmm. you know, it just you know I I don't think he's supposed to be like singing poorly. Like there's a movie, uh, from the early, late 1990s called Georgia with Jennifer Jason Lee, which is a great movie and has one of the most daring sequences in, in all of movies where she wants to be a singer. You know, her older sister, Mare Winningham is a, is like a um, Melissa Etheridge esque star. And she's the, the younger sister who is a fuck up, you know, she's in punk bands. She's a drug addict. She has bad relationships and she wants to sing and she's training and she finally gets her shot. Her sister gives her her shot and she does a cover of Van Morrison's song, Take Me Back, which is an 11-minute song. And they do it all. They shoot it in just a couple of takes. Um, and she's simultaneously good because you love the character and you're rooting for her. But she's, you know, on a, she's awful. I mean, everything's subjective, but she can't sing. So it's a great performance. It's a great Jennifer Jason Lee performance. But then the character of Georgia, it's a it's a triumph for her because she's on the stage and she's given it her all, 
But any person with an ear knows like, oh, my God, this woman's out of tune. It's terrible. But she's so emotional. It's one of the weirdest and most hard to pin down sequences. And um, I actually talked to Jennifer Jason Lee about that. I interviewed her not long ago for, for another project. But I'm like, I got to talk to you about that scene in Georgia. What the hell's going on? And she's like, you know, she doesn't really know the answer either. She's like, it's a weird movie, isn't it? Uh, but it's 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 amazing, and she had to sing that twelve minute song again and again and again. Uh, it's it's quite a scene, but I don't think that the disciple is doing what George is doing. I really don't. In my heart of hearts, I think that the disciple is meant to be a triumph. But but you know, I, I wait confirmation. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, yeah, and I guess there's also like the the question of like, does it matter to anyone? except for him, like, whether he's good or not. Like, I guess he's, uh, like, sort no, of... No, that's a, that's a good point. That's a good mm-hmm. question. I don't know that it does, because, you know, taste is subjective. I mean, there might be some weirdos who think, who listen to Jennifer Jason Lee sing in Georgia and be like, ah, she's great. She's got... You can right. hear the grit in her voice. You know, some people... Yeah. You know, some people like singers with non-traditional voices. That's what mm-hmm. makes them great. I mean, you know, Bob right. Dylan sounds like a frog, right? But that's why right. he's great, so... Who knows? I mean, I will admit I'm the person here who has not watched The Disciple, but I did certainly think of, like, the sort of genre of, like, people who give it their all and then sort of end up burning out. Like, when you talked about Lewin Davis, I thought about Mia Hansen's Love's Eden of a similar Oh, yeah, another great one, yeah. Of a person who's just, like, is trying to make it and then at the end sort of doesn't and you never really know why. I thought of, uh, I'm forgetting, the, the, the Wild Pear Tree a movie that came out a couple of years ago, oh, another yeah. movie about a guy who's like trying to make it in his field. Though that one is is more like explicit about why that guy doesn't make it and that he's sort of an asshole and has bad ideas about art. But they're all interesting. That movie to think is about, so like, in good. concert with each other. Yeah, I love the Wild Pear Tree. That movie is just so calming to me. Like I know there's some heavy shit in that movie, but it, like when when you say it, like my instant blink reaction is like this like people walking through like autumnal fields just talking about philosophy and it's just being beautiful and yeah. that movie is just so yeah. so great yeah and i like, got to see that at the uh the wonderful <coughs> afi silver theater and that was great to just like sit for three yeah. hours in a theater and listen to it and watch yeah. it yeah i mean that yeah. was a weird experience for me where i i went on a trip to new york and I like just got a bunch of tickets to a bunch of different like rep theaters because that's what I wanted to do in New York. And I ended up watching it at the film forum just because I had three hours and it was very oh, cold. Oh, nice. Because I, yeah. I'm a person from an island who decided to go to New York in February. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, and that's it, how you know you're really here, you know? It's, mm-hmm. uh, For sure. But yeah, I yeah, mean, it's an, it was just nice so thing. calming and. It was like a good a good way to spend three hours, and I I did sort of like when I watched that, I then like recalled back to Lewin Davis, and then in hearing about the disciple, I just like continued to make that connection. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, yeah, and of course the the biggie is is Amadeus, right? The uh, yeah. the 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 patron saint of mediocrity, mm-hmm. but I don't know that the disciple is a medi- mediocrity, but and and of course Amadeus is much more playful and, and funny and whatnot, but uh, right, you know that's sort of the the king of it all. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really good movie. I hope that I hope it doesn't get swallowed up by this year. Yeah, I was because... I was like researching it real quick, and it like it won screenplay at Venice, 
which is like right. it w- that's an award but made, like not a lot of movie that wins screenplay that doesn't necessarily mean yeah like it, it gets distribution it won the Fipresci prize at, at venice also right. and also but alfonso cuaron is like an ep on it because of him that's and- right yeah, yeah that's I a good point that. and then the other thing i noticed is that uh there was like a list of like different organizations that had supported it at the end of the credits and one of them was like the sundance borderless fellowship presented by netflix so it's like oh. Oh, maybe it's on their radar yeah no that's a good point yeah it, it's i mean let's put it this way I, the, all three movies we talked about today i think are very very good mm-hmm. uh the disciple is the one for me that is the most original and mm-hmm. uh has the most meat to it i mean nomadland is is lovely and beautiful but i've seen that before and mangrove is certainly angers at the blood you know while you're watching it you oh, I want to strangle mm-hmm. these guys but <clears throat> you know we've seen uh we've seen it before uh this one's really quite quite extraordinary and um yeah. and you know i went and saw it knowing nothing about it, it really just kind of throws you into this world mm-hmm. and uh, you kind of have to figure it out for yourself for a bit which i really like in movies i like i mean i'm drawn to uh unique movies because you want to see stuff that you're not going to see in life you know i mean that's that's what we're that's what it's all about is to connect with other cultures and connect uh, visit places you can't visit and like you know Mm -hmm. mainstream wide release movies have their place but they're always you know they don't they they work on a different side of the brain and i think this the disciple is like a is like a a really exciting foreign language art house film in the classic mold of like this is something new mm-hmm. something you should see yep. and something you should mm-hmm. think about and it doesn't give you the answers yep. easily as mm-hmm. as we have proven since we're all struggling to understand what it means yeah. exactly yeah so, i mean and what sure. what else are film festivals for if not to like watch a the disciple and like sort of be puzzled by it and like want yeah. to shard mm-hmm. it out and like find a sort of not in the rough because I think we've talked about in the previous that we think this New York Film Festival like lineup in general is very good and there's a lot of like mm-hmm. interesting st- things within it, but it's just like finding something unique and shouting it out more than stuff that like I, I imagine most of the people who listen to this podcast will eventually get around to either Mangrove or Nomadland, but The Disciple you should also yeah. check out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great, it's a it's truly a great festival film and like had it played in new york or had i seen it at Cannes or something like that like i could imagine you know when you see something like this uh you then spill out on the sidewalk and find five of your friends and start mm-hmm. you know immediately mm-hmm. what the hell was that you know <laughs> you know i can um i don't know if you know this but the uh for the critic screenings um the the architecture of the place is that there's a there's a the big theater here which is called the um the Lumiere, and then the other theater is called the Debussy, which is usually where, and the the morning critic screens are in usually one or the other, and then in the middle is this big building, which is the central pavilion, and to get out of the theaters, you have to enter the central pavilion. So to enter the central pavilion, there's only like one set of doors, and uh, there's always um, TV crews uh, to mm-hmm. interview critics which is great because nobody gives a shit what critics have to say normally so somebody's putting a camera in your face they're like oh tut, tut, somebody cares what i think and if it's a if it's a movie from a certain country it's always like if it's a, a hungarian film it's like tv hungary live you know it's right yeah. it's it's right there <clears throat> so um 
they're, they're always like immediately coming at you. And if you're, so usually if you walk by, I have been caught a few times where they want to talk to me just, but usually you're listening to what other critics are saying. And that's something that I always find funny is you, so you leave the movie, you just see it's fresh in your head. And then you see the TV cameras with the bright lights talking to a critic that maybe, you know, I recognize that guy. Oh, that guy's a friend of mine. Oh, she looks familiar. And you're hearing their opinion. And sometimes the opinion is like, you're nuts, lady. You don't know what you're talking about. So I have done that a few times. Like kind of made faces at the critic. Like, no, she's wrong. She's wrong. <laughs> don't listen to her. I was like, ah, oh, this guy's an idiot. No, she's smart. Listen to her. She knows what she's saying. So anyway, that's. <laughs> but there have been times when... Um, you know, what if it's friends, what do you think? What do you think of the film? And I just kind of go like, or like, ah. But <laughs> once in a while, I've given my opinion when I'm like, well, it's not my taste. Yeah. Who's this for? We are for Radio Luxembourg. I'm like, okay, good. Tell him I said hi. That's yeah. funny. I This happened to me once, actually, at the theater I just mentioned, the AFI Silver. There's this camera crew. I'm going to see just like a, a 2 p.m. screening of the Luca Guadagnino film. A bigger splash and they just uh there's one other person in the theater and they like grab me as i'm leaving and they're like hey uh wh- what do you what do you think of the movie and then they're like uh wh- what do you think of european film do you go see european films a lot and i'm just like sure yeah it's uh interesting they make movies sometimes they're like ours sometimes they're not and yeah. then i forgot to ask them like what their outlet was so there's right. maybe or maybe not just this footage of me somewhere talking yeah. about a big it was splash. breitbart.com you're now on a right-wing website <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, real big european film section on that website surprisingly yes. who does write the film reviews for breitbart that's a question you know may i but never they know did. the answer they actually did have an art section it was called big hollywood for a little while, they had an art section at Breitbart. They absolutely did. I I, I can't recall ever reading it, but it does exist. You know? <laughs> there are a couple of big right wing film critics. You know, like I don't mean like right like you know, you know, cons- you know, fiscally conservative people who write movies. There's a couple of like you know, bozos sure. out there who who write from the right wing point of view out there. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's that, yeah. that's that trio. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, very interesting. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're going to cut to another segment with uh-huh. our friend Alec, returning guest. Uh, before that, Jordan, is there anything you'd like to plug? Oh, to plug? God, no. Hell no. Uh, <laughs> nothing. No, I am happy to chat with, uh, young cinema enthusiasts like yourselves. Congratulations mm-hmm. on the podcast. Next Thank year we'll you. all meet. At Can itself, mm-hmm. right? God we'll all willing. be there. That would be awesome. Uh, yes. Next year, by next year, we'll have a vaccine, um, or we'll go to one of the other festivals, um, uh, Rochester International Film Festival, perhaps. Is sure, there one I of believe a... that's a short film festival. Uh, is there? Ah, uh, <laughs> too bad. Uh, is there a big festival in the Maryland area? It, Baltimore's got a solid uh, Maryland, oh, right, right. Fil- yeah. the Maryland Film Festival. Richard Brody's always talking about how great it is. Oh, good old... Have you had Richard Brody on your show? You know, we haven't. I've thought about it. He'll do it. He, he loves great. young film okay. enthusiasts. And I love Richard Brody. Richard mm-hmm. Brody, if yeah, you're listening great. to this, you know this about me already. But I do love you. And I miss you. I haven't seen you in person <laughs> now I for months. I cannot imagine he's a listener. <laughs> you never but... know what Richard Brody's doing. Richard Brody's living his own life, man. Yeah. He is... He is uh, 
I've, I've is... got his email because they accidentally sent out a big uh, email where they didn't BCC everyone from the Maryland Film Festival. Yeah. So. No, I'm going to speak 100% sincerely now. He is an incredibly mm-hmm. approachable person. And if you were to write him out of the blue and say, Richard Brody, I, I read your work and I'm a young film enthusiast and I'd like to talk to you about X, I guarantee he will make time for you. Yeah. Well, He's a that, wonderful that's great man. To hear. I, I can tell him exactly. I read his reviews to understand three Hong Sang Soo movies we watched for this podcast. He, right. He's the <laughs> o- literally the only person in America who reviewed them. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 a dedic. He, you know, I I tend to I don't always agree with what he's saying. I also don't always know what he's talking about. But he's he's a genuinely good, a very kind mm-hmm. man. Yes. You know, he mm-hmm. sometimes can be a little, uh, sometimes a little pugnacious uh, on on Twitter. But I think that stems from, you know, he's, he's um, you know, it's if you know him, you know he doesn't mean it. You know, he's really a sweet, kind man. Sure. So that's, that's aren't, my aren't, that's my Aren't thing. we all a little pugnacious on Twitter? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> yes. sometimes. Yes. Yeah, hey, when we're done, you can, I'll give you all the gossip on all the New York critics. You want to know who you are? If you're <laughs> yeah. curious about them, I'll, I'll let you know who's really nice and who's an asshole. Because there's oh plenty of assholes, don't worry. Yeah. All right. You well. know who that guy Dave Sims. Ugh. <laughs> First of all, he's so tall. Too tall. Where does he uh, get off? Being he's that all. Tall? He's always like looking down on you. He's this big, mm. big monster, Dave Sims. Anyway, we'll, all right. We'll, we'll, we'll look out for him. Going. All forward. right. Well, good right, talking well, to you guys. Yes, and thank I'm you again hit, for thank joining you us. Thank you so much, Jordan. And all we're right. going to cut to Alec now. Welcome to this segment of Can I Kick It, a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Weber, and I am joined by Andy Gramuga, Emilio Diaz, and we also ha- are joined by returning guest Alec Montiel. Hello, I'm happy to former, be back on here. Former jury president. Mm-hmm. That's true. Back you guys, to, yeah, just couldn't and, get yeah. enough of me. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> never enough in the in the immortal words of the greatest showman never enough huh and yeah we're gonna be talking more about the new york film festival we've got i think four movies on the docket for today we're gonna do i carry you uh, let's start with city hall that's gonna that's the big uh this, that's the, the city big hall story topic. uh yeah. we've got i carry you with me we've got the woman who ran uh, Sounds good. Yeah. So City Hall. Uh, somehow I got in my head that it would be a great bit. Uh, to uh, yeah, mm. Andy's putting up air quotes. Uh, to while watching City Hall, drink uh homemade dugaritas. Dugaritas, of course, are a uh, possibly proprietary Red Lobster drink that has not gone nationwide yet. Uh, the the recipe supposedly is Mountain Dew tequila plus special ingredients. I of course interpreted the special ingredients as triple sec, which is probably what it is. Uh, but Why yeah, are you promoting Dugaritas? <laughs> <laughs> that was the bit. 
I mean, I mean sure. I, I just enjoyed you gave more context for what Dugaritas are than about the movie you're going to talk about. I mean, the movie is City Hall, the Frederick Wiseman film. I love Frederick Wiseman. He's maker the of, director of, of, yeah, no, yeah, noted maker of long documentaries, Frederick yeah, Wiseman. Monrovia, Indiana, uh, at Berkeley, Ex Libris. Yeah, uh, this is about the Boston City Hall. And I can tell you, I watched uh, exactly, I made very careful note of this, uh, one hour, 56 minutes, and five seconds of it uh, before just being, realizing that I was far too trash to keep going. Uh, yes. I Perhaps think, you saw some of his antics on our Twitter feed. Yeah. Um, I was, there... I mean, I was already borderline blackout by the point that I stopped the movie, I think. Like, I sure. remember taking note of the timestamp, but there's definitely <laughs> things that ha- Like, I don't remember that second hour all that well. Sure. Uh, the first you, hour, like... the first hour is great. Here, right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you were pre-gaming, right? Like, you went into it, like, a couple of Dugaritas in, right? No, I don't no? think so. No, was it? Okay, I believe I play, poured a Dugarita and pressed play on the movie. Great. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, the specific sequence of what happened was, like, I poured, like, one that had, like, a reasonable amount of tequila in it. And I was like, oh, this is way too easy to drink. I need to make one that's stronger so that I'll drink it slower. And, uh, that didn't work. Uh, there was a third and a fourth. The fourth one didn't get finished. Uh, but yeah. Some Taco Bell got ordered over, uh, DoorDash <laughs> that I barely ate. Any uh, thoughts on the actual film beyond oh, yeah. the first so hour my is thoughts great? On, my main, <laughs> the main thing I remembered was there was a really cool, there was a scene where, uh, the mayor and the police commissioner and a few other people uh, are discussing the uh, Red Sox victory parade for their uh, their World Series win in 2018, that would have been. And I was like, ah, man, a Frederick Wiseman movie where he's embedded in a sports team would be so good. I remember thinking that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember, like... <laughs> Uh, messaging people who might know to be like, what's up with this mayor guy? Is he like, <laughs> what's his vibe? Because I was like, and uh, I guess I was basically getting the right vibe, which is that he's like, has done some good things, is maybe not as progressive as he thinks, but in general is like hard to get a read on. And so it sounds like the movie portrays him well in the in the movie. He like, seems like he's, maybe on the level but like also feels like maybe not quite uh yeah i think that the proper i mean of course the proper amount of uh stepped backedness is employed by frederick wiseman uh alec you watched this whole movie what did you think yeah i watched the whole four and a half hours and (laughs) Uh, I, I really liked it. I think I found it really interesting just the ways that, like, a city has to sort of, like, quantify and understand, like, what inequality would look like in a city. I found, like, very, very daunting and scary, but 
I think that like it's kind of interesting how they have to break it down to like okay so who are the people who like don't have affordable housing and why is that and like I think one really great scene towards the end I think Jesse you didn't get to it but with the dispensary where they're creating they're trying to put this um medical marijuana office in this like kind of like poor part in the neighborhood and the whole they're having a whole meeting with the community and they're basically telling them like how like them putting it there isn't really going to work because like they haven't sort of put in the necessary like funds and structure into this part of the city that's a lot poorer and they haven't really been reaching out to that part of the community as much and it creates this whole like big conflict which i feel i found really interesting also it's pretty fun too like there's a lot of great segments where he'll just show like workers like paving road and streets which feels like asmr which like i feel like frank wiseman should totally start his own asmr youtube channel because there's a lot of great scenes where it's just like slowly pouring like the gel over the streets sure did you get jesse did you get to the scene with the garbage truck i think so because i feel like if i saw that drunk i would have like lost my brain would have exploded it's just like crazy scene (laughs) i think i was like maybe i remember a garbage truck i don't think i was aware enough to have a reaction to it it's like crazy they put like and they start putting like this like things in like at first it starts like a bed frame and then it crushes that and then it moves on to this giant grill that's like all metal and you see it just slowly all the metal just get like squashed down and crushed this is ringing a bell i do remember you're right i did get excited about this i was like that's pretty cool really cool yeah yeah i mean i'll say as somebody who watched more of it than jesse but also did not finish it due to other obligations and things i had to do it's like and interesting, there's a, like very a lot of interesting use of repetition, whether intentional or not unintentional. It it like almost has a structure where it's just like here are people in the city like doing their things, like construction workers or sanitation workers, like with the garbage people. And then it's a scene of like just like some like commute. It's either a community gathering or it's a like city hall workers meeting where they just like sit down for like 20 uh, have a 20 minute conversation about hashing like this housing plan out or like this like mm-hmm. other thing out and it, those scenes are are always interestingly structured because it's always like people doing like the hardcore work of just like talking through a situation there's a scene at like a veteran's place and it, and but all those scenes always end with like the mayor giving like a five minute speech about how right. when he was a kid that reminds <laughs> him of something that he went through so that's why he identified with this specific thing so much which is like and that's sort of the portrait of the mayor i got which is just like sort of a guy whose job is just to like make the boring stuff relatable to people i guess that is sort of what i got of frederick wiseman's maybe like impression of what a mayor's job is it's to just like take all the work that other people are doing and make it like relatable and pal- palatable and understand why we need it like there's a lot of like emphasis on people like like uh, every single one of those meetings have people being like well we need to tell the story of this because i think they all have like some like innate rea- like understanding of, of just like well if we come to people with like a boring 19 part proposal for why this is a good thing for the city then they're just like not gonna care nothing's gonna happen so we need to find like 
a coherent way to message this both to the people who this is like helping and also to the other people who like theoretically give us our funding and are the people who live in the city so they understand they need to under at least understand why funding is going to different places which i thought very interesting and then made me think of just like the nature of being observed and if like that's the sort of reason why they were okay with this exercise of just like Frederick Weissman putting a camera and showing all the work that goes in and also just like how aware of, like uh, were they of the cameras and how much they were yeah. sort of maybe playing it up or not which is like always impossible to tell but, like, I thought that know, too we all like... know science we all know like if a thing is being observed observed it changes we all Right. Yeah, I like really impressed like all the meetings he got. He got the camera into and like, cause they have like some pretty like really like, really like technical like stuff and like in all the meetings. And I was like surprised like none of the people there were like weirded out, but there being like a whole crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Those are my thoughts on City Hall. Yeah, I I think I I haven't seen it at all. I didn't feel like I could commit to four and a half hours uh, it, at, at this point with all these other movies I have to watch, so I didn't. Uh, I didn't even attempt it. Um, the I believe it has been announced that it is getting like a digital. Yes, I was going to say good news both for Andy and yes. for me and Emilio. It is being released. Uh, the op- the like virtual cinema premiere is going to be. Wednesday, October 28th at the Film Forum, and then I imagine it'll play plenty of other uh, virtual cinemas after that. Uh, Another piece of good news, I do have beyond, I I remember that beyond the timestamp I have in my notes app, I do also have written in all caps, five stars to City Hall. So I guess it's great. I must have been underselling my reaction to it. Sure. I think they're gonna they're gonna put it on the poster, right? Jesse's yes. review, high stars of City Hall. Yeah, for the first hour and fifty-seven <laughs> minutes or whatever it was. Yeah. Yes. Next to it. Yes, and I guess that's yeah. more than a lot of movies are five stars. For, like just in terms of good movie for amount of time sure yeah absolutely yeah. you're gonna get at least an hour and 56 minutes of five stars that's well worth your investment mm-hmm. um i'm gonna take it you do not recommend the dugarita city hall experience though i don't recommend dugaritas at all sure. they're okay. a problem <laughs> <laughs> even as a bit don't drink them no there, i guess especially there should be as a, a bit there should be yeah a especially as a bit <laughs> All right, shall we move on? What do we want to move on to? You what are we moving about, on to? You want to talk about "I Carry You With Me"? As, since Andy, yeah. you and Alec are the two people who watched that, and you did not get to talk about City Hall. Right? Yes, I. We can talk about "I Carry You With Me." So, "I Carry You With Me." Uh, it play premiered at Sundance. Um, uh, I think it won something at Sundance, right? Didn't it? Is it when, directing? Like, it was Maybe. in Next. It could have definitely won something in Next. Yeah. Um, it's directed by Heidi Ewing, who is primarily a documentary filmmaker. Uh, and it is the story of two men who fall in love in Mexico. Uh, and it tells the story of them like meeting and their courtship, uh, essentially. And then 
eventually they uh they cross the border uh undocumented and wind up in new york city uh and um uh, you know he one of them is like in is like in the restaurant business and like works his way up um and it's yeah it's sort of the story of them uh i did not realize going into it that it was like two real guys yeah uh who um uh the real surprise to me was like at the very end when the credits came up and it did like the the thing that they do in those movies where they put the actors next to the characters that they play that like in the very last segment the real guys play themselves like yeah, there's, there's like it's like twenty or thirty minutes of like the guys like, yeah, playing themselves. There's a whole like format shift that goes to like in terms yeah. of the documentary in the last half. Yeah, uh, which I was not expecting and did throw me off a bit uh, when I realized like oh that was what was happening the whole time. Um, yeah, I think I struggled a little bit with this movie. I felt like it never quite was like tonally where I wanted it to yeah. be. Um, it was. Uh, there was some, there was some, like, I liked the performances pretty well of, like, the young guys, and there's a couple of, like, nice moments of them, but I never really, like, I don't know, like, it, it felt really, like, didactic to me. Yeah, same, I think, like, there's, like, this whole flashback structure it has, and I think that, yeah. like, really holds it back, because I think that the right. first half feels, like, it makes it feel really, like, kind of generic, which is strange to say, because I think, like, yeah. the format shift is, like, kind of, it sort of was a unique thing, but I think she relies too much on flashbacks in, like, the mm-hmm. first half, so that makes it yeah. feel very, There's like, a couple yeah. of, like, really rough flashbacks in the first half where yeah. it's, like, their problem in Mexico was homophobia, and, like, it's, like, very heavy, like, this is scenes of them experiencing homophobia as a young child. Well, I guess there's there's one, and then there's one where it's, like, a, like he, like, doesn't experience quite as much homophobia as he expects, um, but, uh... And then, like, the it sort of does that, and, and, like, and then it, in the, um, it, once they get to New York, it sort of, like, similarly does, like, well, the problem in America is, like, racism and, like, the broken immigration system. And, like, it sort of draws parallels between those two things of, like, the homophobia problem that they encounter, problems that they encounter in Mexico, and, like, those, those, uh, like, the, the immigration experience uh, problems that they have in, in New York, and, like, it... I don't know. It felt like very like heavy-handed of like they have one problem here and they have another problem here and like if only they could find some place without both those problems. Like I don't know. It 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 felt a little not yeah. not as 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 a deft touch as I would like with those issues. Yeah, and I don't know if I, I don't like ripping it rip into it too much because I think I think the story is very like yeah. fascinating. It's a really great story and emotional. But I think like the way that the director like chose to tell it is like how you were saying like. I feel like it makes it for sort of like reduces a lot of maybe like the complexities that that could be right. in the whole movie and makes it very like just didactic and feels more like it's just more generic. At the very yeah, end. Um, which is a little bit of a bummer. I mean, like, I I think like there is definitely some interesting stuff. Like, I think using that format is mm-hmm. like a, definitely an interesting idea, and I would be interested to see like more innovation sort of in that space. Um, and, like, more people try to sort of take on a movie that is structured sort of yeah. in that way. Um, I think it's very well shot. Um, I did think the score was, like, weirdly did not fit the movie very well. I can't well. remember the score. <laughs> it was, like, very droney and, like, he- like very heavy. 
I felt like. Um, I'll just say quick, Andy. You said that it, more people should innovate on that format. It did the two awarded one at Sundance for the next sidebar, where the innovator award and then the audience award. Oh. Sure. Which might um, just be the two awards they give, and it won both of them. But I'm like, yeah. I think so because next used to be a non-competitive section, and then like sure. this year it was like Greg Araki was the only juror, mm-hmm. so he thought it was innovative. Sure. Um, and I mean, like, there's a lot of people that I think that like the movie. Yeah, I think like it. It's not like a universally like shrug of a in the way that maybe Alec and I feel a little bit, but uh, it's definitely yeah. I think it's worth seeing certainly uh and like like i said i think the performances are good and like it is nice to see like uh like a nice uh, it's like a gay romance where like the gay romance is like is like the romance is not really the problem and like they like they have a very nice relationship especially by the time they're like in new york like their relationship is like really nice and solid and and well depicted i thought yeah, I definitely see this being, like, a very big audience pleaser. I know, like, how, like, you and me are going to be in, like, the minority on, like, thinking, like, not really vibing with the movie, but yeah, I think that people should at least try to, like, watch it, because the story is very fascinating, and it's, um, yeah, it still does have its benefits, like you said. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, same, like, yeah, definitely check it out, but, like, yeah, I was I was pretty mixed on it. So yeah. that was I carry you with me. So yes. do we want to carry... go into, into the what? What other movie? The woman who the woman who ran. Yeah, should we go yeah. Into yeah. the woman who ran. And second, yeah, the other one. You want to start this off, Alec, or should I? I can start it off. Yeah. Um. This one, it's kind of weird to say. I liked it, but I still like feel like I haven't retained a lot of it, which maybe is kind of strange to say. But it's like basically, um, stars Kim Min Hee, and I think of it is like her husband's on a business trip, and she's visiting this old town maybe where she grew up in and she's visiting these three different friends and when she's with them she's having these like different conversations about her life and the all the different men that these women are with and i think i kind of i enjoyed it for the most part like i think with hong this is a bit more i felt a bit more like um sparse for hong sang too but i did like just the sort of vibe all the conversations had and I think him and he is like so so fantastic, especially this. Uh, there's one really really incredible scene, which like nothing crazy happens to it, but she's just in the theater and like eating bread, and it just felt like so like I don't know, it felt so iconic to me, and like like <laughs> everything about like her in that scene like was so perfect. Yeah, I was just I was, admittedly slightly less into it because I I just had excitement about it just like going in and watching a new Hong Sang Soo movie after earlier on this podcast we like sort of got more into Hong Sang Soo and talked about all of its merits and just it was like so low-key even for him because it's like as Alex said the story of the movie is like Kim Min Hee is like this woman who's been married for five years and she described as like she has not been apart from her husband and any mo- for any moment during those five years and like her husband is on a business trip so she decides to like take that opportunity and go see old friends of hers and then she just like goes to basically three different friends of her and just like has these like long conversations where I guess like that's the sort of like mystery or the sort of drama just like watching Ken Min Hee and wondering is like is she like really as happy as she says she is about this relationship 
is she sort of being like sort of snide like is she sort of being sly about it is she sort of is she just sort of like lying to herself like the reactions that her different friends have is sort of interesting even though it's like again it's all low-key but like her reactions to the different lives they live like one of them lives in like these apartment complexes that are like also have some land attached so they just like they just like work with chickens and and stuff and just like and she the way she reacts to that sort of life and then there's also another one another of her friends lives in an apartment that it's like mostly reserved for artists and she talks about her life as like a single artist and just like the pe- the like weirdness of navigating dating at that age and and then she goes to like a, her third friend who I think it like I think the insinuation in the movie is like that friend was either like supposed to date or did date her husband and then the or there is like some relationships like weirdness between her and her last friend and so they're catching up is a little bit more intense but even intense I mean it's like a mild scowl at some point is like as intense as it as it gets and it's just sort of like yeah you can see what Hong is doing it's just like her trying to assess her relationship through the scope of these three different women who she knows and just like trying to imagine what her life would be in these different situations but it's just so low-key that at some point it lost me like the moment that alec mentioned is like towards the end and this is like a 117 minute movie and i was like sort of checked out by then being an and... hour and an hour and 17 oh wait no wait an hour and 17 minutes yeah an hour and 17 minutes my head, i forget but but it's just like it's it's like my reaction to a lot of hong but usually i'm a little kinder to it but I, I i can just really go like i can see what he was going for there i don't know if i need to watch all of this kim and he is great kim and he you could watch her do anything she's an incredibly yeah. nat- natural actress she is very charismatic she you can tell like she's improving a lot of it or she's like reacting to things semi-honestly which is like always fascinating to see but i could maybe watch that for like 30 minutes and not 60 it's like by the time she got to like the ending of her second friend it's just like i don't know if the story he's telling is as interesting as this like screen time may merit i guess is my take on it any other other thoughts on that alec on the movie i think emilio like summed it up well yeah uh alec is there anything you would like to plug um can follow my letterbox. This is Almon, A L M O N, and my Twitter is on privatized. So quickly go follow before I private it again. Very, <laughs> you know, it's very much, very much like New York Film Fest. It's kind of like a limited access thing. So yeah. you gotta uh-huh. come in there and get in there quick before I put yeah. it on lockdown again. Alec, right. rep- Alec responds with to I'm our not tweets gonna, with the best tweets. I'm not gonna tell you my hat. You're gonna have to figure that out. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> If you're looking for the best the best replies at at the CI at the Siki account, follow Alex. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, you can follow that uh, Kiki account at Can I Kick It on Twitter. You can follow us on Letterboxd at CIKI Pod. You can follow me in either of those places at JP Glickweber and Andy. 
Uh, yeah, um, my name's Andy. You can follow me uh, on uh, Letterboxd, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, etc., etc., at Andy T. Germ. Uh, I'm Emilio. You can follow me on Twitter at I'm Laugh Alone, and you can follow me on Letterboxd at I Laugh Alone. Our theme song is by True Related. You can find them at SoundCloud.com slash True Related. Great. Then I'm going to go ahead and release our audience. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.